All right. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to The Melanin Margin, the weekly chat show where conversations about race are never off the table. We're your hosts, Quaviandre Williams. And Daquan Wilson. So let's get into this week's conversation. What's hot on the table this week? In an article on The Hollywood Reporter, we learned that Spotify is the, in the process of removing Neil Young's catalog of music from its service after the artist published and then took down an open letter with an ultimatum. Deal with the vaccine misinformation coming from Joe Rogan's podcast or lose Young's music. Rogan, who hosts a Spotify exclusive podcast, The Joe Rogan Experience, has faced backlash for repeatedly sharing misinformation surrounding COVID vaccines on his podcast. In December, a group of 270 doctors and other medical professionals also wrote a letter calling on Spotify to, quote, mitigate the spread of misinformation on its platform, end quote. Shortly after, Rogan featured Dr. Robert Malone, a known vaccine skeptic who has promoted baseless theories about the COVID vaccines on his podcast. Spotify spokesperson told The Hollywood Reporter, quote, we want all the world's music and audio content to be available to Spotify users. With that comes great responsibility in balancing both safety for listeners and freedom for creators. We have detailed content policies in place, and we've removed over 20,000 podcast episodes related to COVID since the start of the pandemic. We regret Neil's decision to remove his music from Spotify, but hope to welcome him back soon, end quote. Until Wednesday, Spotify has remained silent on the issue of COVID misinformation coming from Rogan's podcast. So Andre, I wanna ask you, why do you think Spotify doesn't wanna respond to that criticism or do anything about Joe Rogan's misinformation? Honestly, I think it has a lot to do with that deal that Joe Rogan has made with Spotify because we learned um, that not too long ago, Joe Rogan made a deal of exclusivity with the platform that was worth about $100 million. And he brings in about 200 million monthly downloads um, for his podcast. So I think that it's a level of not just money, a monetary gain for Spotify, but I also think it's just the reality of we don't check rich white men in our society. Mm. We just don't. And the reality is Joe Rogan is making them money. And as long as that's happening, there's not going to be anything to be said about it. I think that it's really funny how they said they've removed certain COVID-19 related podcasts. But it's funny that they said they removed it, but they didn't specify negative, uh, like spreading misinformation. They didn't specify that. They just said they removed COVID related. So you're not even specifying what content you're removing specifically right. you're just saying COVID related so you're not even specifying the fact that we if you say that you are not allowing misinformation of this pandemic on the air then how is he still getting away with doing it without any kind of reprimand or repercussion oh oh because y'all don't want to go back on your investment mm. got you got you because the reality is we know that Spotify is climbing up in the podcasting world as one of the one of the main podcast providers. And so in order for them to do that, they had to bank a lot of these uh, big name podcasters to have people flocking to their app. 
So Joe Rogan is known as one of the biggest podcasters, if not the biggest podcaster in the world. Right. So it makes sense that having just signed that deal and having just made, um, having just signed that deal, having having known who Joe Rogan is, because I didn't know who he was. I'm not even gonna lie to you. I don't know who that person was until we until we did the research for this episode. So like, I didn't I didn't know that he was as big as he was, but um. And like I said, it makes it, it is no surprise to me. I think the reason why they're not going to say anything is because they don't want to affect their bad. We know that Hollywood execs they um bleed green. They don't they don't give a right. fuck about who it's hurting. The fuck since when since when did Hollywood say they give a fuck about anybody's feelings? You know what I mean? Listen, capitalism is a hell of a drug. I mean, it is. <laughs> they are addicted. But I completely agree. Like I also think that you know during the pandemic, podcasting has become a huge thing everybody was like yes. oh we're at home let's listen to some podcasts let's make some podcasts mm. and <laughs> right now you, we we know that you know trash men with a podcast is trending oh like, yeah that is what is trending everywhere you can always find somebody saying some trash things on a podcast and spotify is not going to give that up it's so popular that they can't just give up one of their biggest shining stars. And I think, you know, completely agreeing, it's all about that money. And it's also all about if they have to take down one of their biggest creators, then they would be opening up the door for so much more. Yeah. Because they're saying, oh, you know what? Let's stop the misinformation right here. And then it's like, okay, well, if you have the responsibility for putting out misinformation on COVID vaccines, what about the misinformation so many people spread about sexual assault cases? Exactly. The misinformation people spread about celebrities and people's lives and all of these other things. And I think that they are worried about that domino effect, that domino effect of, okay, now more and more we have to really listen to what people are saying on our platforms and figure out, okay, we got to fact check this, we got to take down that yeah. and do all of this legwork that they don't really want to do. I, and I think it's such an interesting conversation too, because they also bring up the idea of freedom of speech, right? And freedom mm -hmm. of disagreement. And so like, while I don't agree with people who are on the opposing side of the COVID vaccine um, thing or the getting of getting the COVID vaccine or not, or whatever the case may be, or what COVID is, um, they're still entitled to have those thoughts. And it's such a weird, it's such a weird place to be in because like mm -hmm. on the one hand, you can't just take down things you don't agree, don't agree with, right? right? But I also do think that Joe Rogan is at a new level. Mm -hmm. I think that people also forget about the fact that freedom of speech also plus influence. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just because you can say things, just because you can feel a certain way about it, when you start to say things as facts with people backing you up and you have an influence over a, ma a massive amount of society, you know, like the president, let's go back to even the president, you know, yes, the president, of course, just like any other person has freedom of speech, but there's still a level of influence that the president has based off of what he says. So when the president of the United States calls the coronavirus China virus, he's inviting Asian hate. He's inviting um, uh, xenophobia and all that stuff. And 
I don't think that people understand that there is a certain level of responsibility that people who right. have that kind of influence over massive amounts of people have to be checked. And so if we're talking about, you know, mom and pop who have a podcast of 20 or three, uh, 20, 20, 30, 40 listeners is one thing. But Joe Rogan has over 200 million people tuning in monthly. Monthly. Right. It's a it's an entirely different ballpark. It's an entirely different game altogether. And I think that people really need to take into consideration that while we do have freedom of speech, we also have the um we have to understand a factual speech too, and making sure that we're not spreading that uh, the wrong um information about things. Just like you can't um like there's certain things that you can't do. Like there's what is I, I forgot how it goes, but it's like freedom of speech is not freedom of consequence. Right. I was just about to say that like freedom of speech is not freedom from consequences like our notion of freedom of speech is so different than what it actually is like when we look <laughs> at like what freedom of speech is founded on like it's literally people are able to talk out against the government without fear yeah. of being killed or backlash or whatever like that yeah. that is what freedom of speech is freedom of speech isn't like you can say whatever you want and do whatever you want and not have anything <laughs> bad happen to you yeah so when you have a platform or when you have social media they all have these you know policies that saying by being a content creator on our platform you have to abide by our guidelines on what content we allow so that's why you know if somebody is spreading hate speech their account can be taken down. It's exactly. not a you know restriction on their freedom of speech because that's not what freedom freedom of speech is for. Exactly, you are specifically putting out hate speech, which is targeting certain groups. That is not allowed on our platform, and so we're taking you down because you violated our guidelines. Just like with this, you are spreading misinformation about COVID policy, COVID vaccines, and everything. That is not allowed on our platform. We need to take you down. And that is what Spotify needs to do. Spotify needs to be able to take that firm stance or create something. Like even Facebook has something. Even TikTok mm -hmm. has something that's like at the bottom of anything that gets tagged with COVID. Like this may or may not be true mm -hmm. information. Check TikTok, yeah. Mm -hmm. For, you know, factual, factual information. Yeah. So if Spotify wants to keep the Joe Rogan experience on air, then they need to be able to have something online that says the views and opinions that expressed in this podcast are do just not that. reflect views yeah. and opinions. They do not reflect Spotify and what we believe. If you want updated information about COVID-19 and the vaccines, check these websites. But again, exactly. they don't want to do that work. No, I fully agree with you. I think, I mean, literally you hit it right on the, you hit it right on the head. Like it really is speaks to the idea of like, you know, while everybody, while people can disagree and have different views on different things and issues or whatever the case may be, um, there is still a level of, you know, responsibility that these mm -hmm. entertainment sites have to have. And I wanted to ask you, Daquan, do you think it's the job of these entertainment sites like Spotify to mitigate the content that is allowed on their platforms? Absolutely, absolutely. In our day and age, the internet runs everything. Exactly. Everybody is getting their information from the internet, basically. 
newspaper sales are going down because people are going to online platforms to find out about what's going on in the world. And I think with that comes great responsibilities. Online platforms like Facebook, Twitter, social media, and Spotify need to be able to mitigate what type of content is going on on their platforms because it has such a huge effect because that's where people are going for news. Exactly. Like, I know for me, I can easily, you know, look at an article that I found, you know, fact check it, see where the source is, determine, do all of that different things because, like, I have that training to just, like, do that as an academic. But that is not accessible for every single person. Yeah, you can be like, oh, well, like, you can just Google it. But again, with different types of algorithms based on what side of Google you are on, you might get different search results. And everybody doesn't have the same way to really merge through different types of information sectors. Like there's so much verbiage that just are highly elevated that like everyday people aren't going to be able to understand basic news that they want. And so when you have all different types of news, quote unquote, sources on your platform, you need to be able to say, this is really news and we stand by that because it's a reflection of the larger platform. If Spotify allows something to be on its site, then it reflects the views and opinions of Spotify because they're allowing it to be there. Exactly. I fully agree. I think that there is even, you know, just the fact of we need to stop putting these celebrities um, on pedestals of unreachable, um, like they can't be, they can't be clocked. They can't be checked, you know, when they do something wrong. And I think that all this is showing me, especially with Spotify's response, we're like, yeah, remove your music. <laughs> we're going to keep Joe Rogan and we're going to remove this music. It really does make it feel like they just don't care. You right. know what I mean? Especially when they are still allowing the part, the podcast to take place and, or they're not going to, at the very least, put a uh, disclaimer beforehand to say, um, you know, like you said, just right now, um, this podcast does not reflect the views of the COVID-19 policies or just something to tack on to the beginning of, of the podcast because they can do that. They have done mm -hmm. that. You know what I'm saying? Um, before when it comes to running ads, so you can obviously cut in in any, any situation you want to. So specify that whenever COVID-19 is mentioned, that there is a um, disclaimer beforehand, a, a 5 to 20, 30 second, however, however long it takes to explain it, to say the, the views expressed in this podcast do, uh, are um, a, opinions. They are not based in fact. If you, or, or we don't know if they're based in fact or not. Please reference X, Y, and Z CDC guidelines for the most up-to-date current scientific information about COVID-19 if you have any more questions or concerns. Because like I said, I do think that um, you should be allowed to express whatever opinion you want to. But the problem is we also have to understand that you can say whatever the fuck you want. You can, absolutely. But again, you have to deal with the consequences of those actions. And for Joe Rogan in this particular case, there doesn't seem to be a consequence for him speaking things that could uh, that could honestly kill people. That could lead right. people to getting uh, infecting other people or spreading misinformation. Like spreading misinformation is one of the most dangerous things in our society. You know, it's, it's how so many stereotypes get started. It's how so many of this, it's, it's the root of a lot of the problems in our society is the spread of misinformation. And so I think that, you know, for Spotify not to take responsibility and, and, and or at the very least say that um, moving forward, we will attack on something to Joe Rogan or something like that. I feel like even if they were going to still remove Neil Young's music, I think that 
saying, listen, if you still want to do that, that's fine. But our response to this is going to be to make sure that we double check to make sure that Joe Rogan is providing um, accurate information. But the fact that they're just kind of like, girl, it's not like a personal problem to me. That shows that our industry is more are more based in the amount of money that people can make for them versus actually creating quality uh, educational stuff. So right. when people are talking about hospital, when people are talking about COVID or stuff like that, you know, and even I think even on talk shows, they have to say allegedly a lot. Like I think that mm -hmm. I think Wendy Williams and the talk is like that. They have to they have producers who come in and say, hey, you can't say this because we don't know this for a fact. So you can you have to make sure you say allegedly allegedly they have like buttons, signs or they'll call, talk in their ear or something like that to make sure that they are having the most up to date, accurate information about whatever they're talking about. And if they don't know right. something for absolute fact, they will make sure to state this is speculation. This allegedly. is allegedly. And they're, they're not very trying specific. to catch a case. Exactly. And Joe Rogan is not doing that same thing. He is saying, no, this is the right, this is what it is. And fuck what you heard. And that's a problem. Right. Now, in an article written on CNN Politics, we learned that the Supreme Court announced on Monday, January 24th, that it will reconsider race-based affirmative action in college admissions, a move that could eliminate campus practices that have widely benefited Black and Hispanic students. The justices said that they will hear challenges to policies at Harvard and the University of North Carolina that use race among many criteria to decide who should gain a coveted place in an entering class. Race-based affirmative action over the past 40 years has helped boost the admissions chances for many traditionally disadvantaged racial minor minorities. In the case against Harvard, the challengers say that those same practices have hurt Asian American applicants. Chief Justice John Roberts, for his part, has long opposed racial policies in education. It is a sordid business that's divvying us up by race, he wrote in a 2006 voting rights dispute. The following year, when the majority invalidated two public school integration plans, he wrote, the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discriminating on the basis of race. The students for fair admissions challengers who laced their arguments with such statements from Roberts and other conservatives argue that screening students based on race, even to fulfill educational goals, constitutes an unlawful discrimination. So I wanted to ask you, Daquan, do you believe that colleges should get rid of affirmative action policies in order to create colorblind admissions? <laughs> Whew, <ooh. laughs> Listen. When I saw that you put this on the docket, I was like, <laughs> she know exactly what she's doing. She know exactly, because I am so tired of this debate. I am so tired. <laughs> I am exhausted from conversations about affirmative action <laughs> because being frank, like, 90% of stuff like this is from ignorance, mm -hmm. complete, utter ignorance. And I think that, you know, going towards the question, getting rid of affirmative action policies, like, no, like, what, what is colorblindness? Like, really, <laughs> if you believe that we can be a colorblind society, like, you are probably part of the problem. Like, colorblindness <laughs> is racism. And I, I just think that it's, 
I just think that it's crazy these sort of things that's just like, oh, we have to stop racial discrimination by just like not accounting for race at all. And it's like, if you really do your research about affirmative action, you will see so many different figures and statistics that show the people who benefit most from affirmative action are white women. So when you're like, oh, well, like, this is causes racial problems. It's like white women are the people who benefit most from this. Yet they're also the people who hate it the most, which is like this odd <laughs> dichotomy that I don't understand. But you know what? Go off. Um, but I absolutely don't think that colorblind admissions processes are the way to go. Because when we think about college admissions today, it is so biased and so, you know, opposing to black and brown individuals like we have to start with test scores you know so like yeah sure some college judges are being like oh well like we're not going to require test scores anymore they're going to be optional and it's like yeah but a lot of colleges still require those test <laughs> scores and if you come from a black and brown background statistically speaking you are underprepared for these standardized tests because mm -hmm. the standard is whiteness the standard mm. is white education. And if you are not getting that white education, you're not going to meet that standard. So that's why you see so many black and brown students not have the test scores. Or even, let's be honest, so many of them do, and they still don't, you know, get that same opportunities because you have to work twice as hard to get half as much. White mediocrity is like the standard of our society today. And so what happens is so many times, like you have to understand that race impacts people's lives. If you believe that we can be a colorblind society, that is a privilege because <laughs> color does not affect you. I cannot live in a colorblind society because my race has so many impacts on my everyday life. Like there are opportunities that, you know, happen to me more often because of my race. Mm -hmm. And you have to figure that into when you're, you know, doing an admissions offer. Like, you can't just be like, all right, GPA, check. Test scores, check. Extracurriculars, check. Okay, we're good. Like, there's so many different barriers to education because a lot of black and brown households are low income. So students may be working two, three jobs to help support their parents. How are they supposed to do all of these extracurriculars, be the president of student council, treasurer of the volunteer organization, mm -hmm. everything like that? Like, that is hard. Like, and I know that because, like, I was that student that just, like, went ham on everything to try to be the best that I can be for college admissions. Like, Quavi Andre can attest, I was every, <laughs> like, I was every club, I had mm -hmm. leadership on that. And even in college, I felt that as a black person, I had to do so much more. That pressure. Just like, you know, meet the standard of all of my white peers at my elite PWI. So like there was a semester, there was a year where like I was, I had like two jobs. I had an internship. I was on five exec boards, like, and a full course load. I was <laughs> to try to meet that standard because I was also thinking about grad school. And I was like, mm. there's so many people who have 
all different types of opportunities. They don't have to work in college. So they have so much more time yeah. to devote to doing research and all of these different things. That's a leg up because they don't have to do what I'm doing. And so when you have these arguments against affirmative action, you are literally part of the problem. If you are against it, I'm sorry, but like you're ignorant. This... And I said, what you said. <laughs> and I said, period. I don't need to. <laughs> and I don't but... need to elaborate. <laughs> but no, I fully agree with you, Daquan. I think that this, honestly, I'm just so tired of this argument of like, oh, I don't want to see color. I just like, people are people. I don't care if you're black, brown, purple, orange, bitches. We're not. We're not a rain. It's not. It's not a rainbow. Okay. There's no purple people as we far as we know. Okay. Stop right. bringing in other other colors that don't exist. In if your the, skin is green, you have a problem. Like so, it's just it's to me. This is an argument, like you said, I'm just so tired of having to fight this argument, but I will keep fighting and keep getting the fuck up every day to do it because we know it has to be done. But this whole I don't see color thing is inherently racist. This whole colorblind society is inherently racist because we all know that the reason why people say that is because, again, whiteness is the standard. Whiteness is the is the white mediocrity is the standard. And so we know that in our society, White people are disproportionately uh, are um are like dis black black and brown people are disproportionately less likely to be able to enter into these institutions, and white people are more so likely to get into these institutions often, and they are they are the ones that they, they this is less likely for them to be affected by anything like they can have not the best grades they can have not all the um classes in in the um different clubs and stuff like that because it is the system is made to make it's the system is made for white success we know right. that and so it frustrates me that we are still not aware as a society as a whole out of all of the fights that black and brown people have done to say hey see us know us hear us we are here you know what i'm saying uh, all of these fights that we have done over time, and like I said, this is what just further perpetuates um, the conversation we've always said is that white supremacy is still a thing. It's still a big, big thing, and it's still a big problem. Because if you notice, the people who are against affirmative action are white. Hello. Race does not affect them in the same way that it affects people of color. So in their eyes, it's like, oh, well, why should black and brown people get an egg up because they're black and brown? That shouldn't be a whatever. And the reason why they're able to do that, that is a product of white privilege. You are privileged right. to live in a society where your race is not a deteriorating, a deteriorating factor into your quality of life. And not to cut you off, but... Even if the person against affirmative action is a person of color, nine times out of nine times out of ten, they're just trying to get that white supremacy bag. They're trying. Oh, to you get already know. Bag. Yes, you already Candace know. Candace Owens. <clears throat> I'm sorry. Oh goodness, that just, I don't know what that was. Uh, Shade. But, but yeah, uh, Kendall, <laughs> Christian Walker. Oh Jesus. Oh, so sorry. Anyway, I don't know what that was. I have to get that checked out. But like I was saying, I think that when it comes to this conversation specifically. I think that affirmative action um, being even up for debate is just further pushing the dial backward. And, right. we're, and instead of trying to create an admissions council that um, doesn't see color, the focus should be trying to create an admissions council that is more diverse. That's the first problem. That's the first issue right there, because we know the people who are making the decisions 
The people who are making the statements about who can and can't get into the college are usually what? White, cis, straight men. Right. Also upper class, probably. Upper upper class usually as well. So like it just, the fact that we are not even understanding the fact that the reason why this is such a problem, the reason why affirmative action had to be put into place in the first place was because black and brown and people of color are not being allowed into these institutions. And the reality right. is that's because we are not allowing for the spaces for people of uh, people of color to occupy the um, table. And I hate and like I hate this whole thing of, well, just go to your own or just make your own bitch. We shouldn't have to. That's the problem is that we shouldn't have to make our own. We should be able to get into these fancy institutions without having to have these policies in place. But the reality is that's not the society that we live in. I would love to live in a society where being black wasn't an immediate um, detriment to my life. I would love to live in a society where I could get pulled over by a police officer and believe I'm being protected. I'm being kept safe. I would love, love to be at a job wearing locks, wearing braids, wearing X, Y, and Z, and not have someone see me as um, not as intelligent or as not smart. All these things, all of these preconceived notions around people of color, These, this is a thing. I would love for it not to be. I would love for us to stop talking about race. I would love that this show wouldn't even have to exist. But it does because why? Racism is a problem. And this affirmative action policies need to be in place in order to protect people of color, in order to keep us in these spaces, in order to keep us getting, hopefully one day, getting a seat at these tables. But right. like I said, there's always going to be dumb people. I just want to ask you, Daquan, just, even just for, just for argument's sake, I want to ask you, do you think there should be a quota that has to be met in schools in regards to race? No. Bullshit. I think that <laughs> I think that it's some bullshit. Um, but I really do think that a lot of times when we have conversations about affirmative action quotas get brought up because people feel like affirmative action is like this quota type system already. Or it's like, oh well, like if we don't have this, then like are y'all gonna just like have quotas be like, we need X amount, like no like that's crazy talk and like it's not gonna work like <laughs> no, having yeah. a certain percentage of your student population being black is not going to add real diversity like if anything is going to create some fabricated mess um and i also believe that you know while we're not like matching quotas if you have an institution regardless whether it's a college university whether or even just like a business if the population of students or the population of workers does not reflect the population of the area surrounding it, that should click something in your mind to be like, why is that? You know, why mm. is it that we have all of these students from across America applying to our university and our student population isn't representative of America? Why yeah. is it that we have students across the globe even applying yeah. to our prestigious university and our population is still just like very 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 white that should click something in your mind to be like what is it about our process that's like pushing certain populations off and that is why affirmative action is still needed because there needs to be you know something in these policies to be able to be like we are now going to discriminate based off race we are going to hold ourselves accountable, making sure that we are not discriminating on race, on gender, on ability, sex, national origin, all of these mm -hmm. different things, and making sure that 
our campuses are representative of the areas that people come from and not just like the whiteness and white society that our university was founded on. I fully agree. And I think that it's so funny how these institutions also say that, oh, yeah, we don't we, we're trying not to use color as a weapon. And we're trying not to use, you know, we're trying to have more diversity. And it's like, OK, but we also recognize that, like, every single college admissions form asks for your race. Right. <laughs> but that's another conversation. <laughs> so in an article on Telegraph Films, Disney plans for a live action version of Snow White, which features Ra Rachel Zegler, a, the first Latina Snow White. But the remake has been criticized by Peter Dinklage, star, star of Game of Thrones, who has accused the producers of hypocrisy. The US actor born with a form of dwarfism known as achondroplasia said, quote, they were very proud to cast a Latino actress as Snow White but you're still telling the story of Snow White and the Seven Dwarves. You're progressive in one way, but you're still making that effing backwards story of seven dwarves living in a cave, end quote. A spokesperson for Disney responded with an official statement saying, quote, to avoid reinforcing stereotypes from the original animated film, we are taking a different approach with these seven characters and have been consulting with members of the dwarfism community end quote. So Andre, is Disney's response to Dinklage concerns indicative of racism within the community? 1,000, 100 million percent. Ah, Daquan, I could not believe this when I read about the story. I just could not. Oh, yes, I could believe it. I don't know why the fuck I said mm -hmm. that. I could believe it, but I'm just like the audacity, the audacity for Disney to make an official statement. Oh, so fancy. Oh, we're going to work on ourselves. They're going to consult people in the community to ask about X, Y, and Z. Da, 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 da. We're making progress, we're making progress, we're making progress. And yet, Sneakerella is still happening. Because regardless of the discrimination that Dinklage receives as a person with dwarfism, he's still a white man. Still a white man. And it's mighty funny how... These Disney people jump to the bat. Oh, 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 oh we're going to do this. We're going to fix this. We're going to X, Y, and Z. And also, what really kind of makes me more upset about this whole thing, Daquan, is the fact that I feel like the reason they're even doing this quote-unquote consulting thing is because of what he said. I don't think that they did this originally. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Because it's to me, it just feels like if that was something that they were going to do, they would have made that statement before any of this would have came out. The moment that it was right. announced, they would have said, just so y'all are aware, we are consulting members of the dwarfism community to make sure we are reinforcing negative stereotypes. I feel like that would have been the streamlined thing they would have started with when they announced this whole thing. But the fact that the Disney quote-unquote spokesperson um, did this whole official statement saying, oh, we're going to go and make sure now. I feel like it's in response to Peter Dinklage's, um, Dinklage's um, concerns. And it frustrates me to no end because yet again, it just reinforces the narrative that even if you are a white person who has a disability of some kind or has a, or you're differently able or whatever the case may be, you still benefit from white supremacy. Yeah. You still, it's still a thing. And that's why I think people don't understand that like, this is a clear example of racism 
It is the clearest example because we are not the only ones who talked about why Sneakerella is a bad thing. We are not we are not the only ones who have discussed why it's problematic that there is almost no black people in the writer's room or director's room when it comes to creating a story about black people. Right. Or why it's problematic that we haven't had a black Disney story where, you know, the characters didn't turn into animals. Ugh. Ah. And it's just, it's so crazy. It's so crazy that, and the thing that pissed, I mean, the thing that really just pisses me off is that this shows that Disney can make changes. They just choose not to because it doesn't, they don't right. give a fuck. They won't listen to black people's criticism about anything like that. They won't consult black directors or black writers about Sneakerella. Oh, fuck that. We don't have time for that shit. Not the blacks. <laughs> but Peter Dinklage says some shit. Oh, a white man. Oops. Ah. Oh, we gotta make sure the white people good. Uh, let's make let's make a statement. Uh, get it. somebody go out there and say something about the dwarfism community or whatever, bitch. Right. If you don't get I, the fuck like, out of my face, Disney has this huge history with racism, but massive. How many how many statements on racism <laughs> has Disney put out? How many? Uh, right now, off the top of my head, I can't think of any. I don't ever one. You're hearing anything Disney said about racism. So it is incredibly frustrating that, like, this comes out because it's like, oh, you know, Disney can consult a community before <laughs> making something. Disney can listen to concerns, and they're not yeah. just this corporation that has no ears and doesn't want to listen to anything except yeah. put out nonsense. Yeah. Uh, and I also think that it's one of those things where you know, for a movie like Snow White, yes, I can understand that, you know, people from the dwarfism community has concerns about, you know, the comparison to, like, the seven dwarfs. Yeah. And I'm not trying to deny any... Or diminish it, yeah. Yeah, in, diminish anything. But also, like, the dwarves in the movie are, like fairy tale dwarves. Yeah, supernatural like creatures. Yeah, they're not romantic mythology. Yeah, yeah. They're supernatural. Yeah. Like, so that would even, it's kind of weird that this is such a big deal for Disney to exactly. make a statement when they're literally pulling from <laughs> mythology? Question mark? That's the shit that really gets me. Like, that's the shit that really grinds me. Like, I'm just like, okay, okay. Not to diminish. It's not at all because I'm not a part of the community, so I don't know. I, I'm not a part of that community, obviously. Me and neither one of us are. So of course we can't speak on whether or not the seven dwarves are offensive or not. But what we do know is that dwarves are not. Dwarves is, is a supernatural phenomenon. It's a supernatural um, storytelling. It's not, you know, that's not that it's, it's going from magic based things. It's like, it's like, it's, but that's, that's, I'm not gonna get into that, but I'm going to go back to what we're talking about though. Um, the reality is it just, it it makes it just it honestly breaks my heart a little bit because it's just like this is all we would want from Disney and Marvels and the big name companies that have these uh that have the say so in these regards. Bitch, you are not black. Like you're not black, you're not you're not Asian, you're not Latina, you're not X, Y, and Z. If you're gonna make especially if you are fucking Disney, like one of the top 
producers of animated films and movies and, and, tele, and you know television or whatever, you were at the top of the game and you don't have, you bitch, you don't tell me you don't have enough money to buy sensitivity writers or editors. Like, how the fuck is we still doing this shit, Dick? Like, this shit pisses me off to a whole new level because it's like, we're in 2022. How are we still doing this shit? Y'all have the money to do it. And the fact that y'all are able to, oh, yes, we're going to jump on that part because a white man tells you to do it. But we, we as black people make several concerns about the situation or people of color in general just saying, hey, how about make a movie with people of color by people of fucking color? How about that? Right. Maybe. How about instead I also of think that it's like this larger conversation that, you know, not saying that we can't criticize representation. We absolutely yeah. can't. But I find that a lot of times when certain groups get, you know, front center spotlight. Exactly. There's always something that comes up that's just like, oh, well, like, what about us? And it's like. You know, like, I think even thinking about the conversations we had about, like, Black Lives Matter and people being like, oh, well, like, y'all were here for BLM, like, why aren't you here for us? And I think that when it comes to, you know, groups that face some type of oppression or some type of ism or phobia, there always is this, like, you know, act of just being like, if I'm not in the spotlight, then there is a problem. Like exactly. we have to have everything at the same time or no, we can't no. have nothing at all. Yeah. Because when one group gets like too much spotlight, then it's like, oh, well, like y'all have so much, like, what about us? What about us? And it's like, we need to be able to have conversations, have critical conversations without automatically trying to, you know, tear down one group's representation. We need to be able to be like, hey, like, this could be very important for the Latinx, Latin A community. Let's let them have their spotlight for this moment, but also have critical conversations around it. Yeah, it, it just, it frustrates me to no end, because like I said before, and the fact that Disney made an official, like, the thing that gets me is that Disney made an official statement. That's the problem for me, because, like, people have long since criticized Princess and the Frog. People have long since criticized Soul as soon as it came out. And Disney has not, has been mums the word on that shit. They ain't got shit to say. But they respond again to this white man immediately, with immediately almost. And it just, it pisses me off because I'm, and honestly, let's even go into a little bit deeper, Daquan. I mean, I just want to ask you, do you even think that having like, is this is the story really as progressive as, it, as everybody's saying it is because the Latino actors have been cast as Snow White? You already know what I'm <laughs> going to say. Absolutely not. Let's be real. Like, Snow White is a story that's been told and told again. Putting a person of color in a white story isn't really representation it's it's frustrating because there are so many stories from the latin a community that could be told that don't get the spotlight you know there has been some you know like encanto came out recently and you know Coco. that's been really important for you know colombian representation but there's so many stories by from actual latin a communities that have not been told. So just like taking a white story and slapping a person of color on it, like that's not representation to me. 
it's so fucking tiring because I'm because it's like I don't give fuck Snow White, fuck fuck Cinderella, fuck all these people. We know these. We we don't. I'm tired of these white women. Okay, we tired of these white women. We tired of these white stories. Whatever the case may be. And it's like just because you and I'm and the thing about it is with the amount of money Disney has and the amount of of work they have in it. Like I mean, Cinderella, Snow White. I mean, this some of these movies have been rebooted over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. I mean, if you look at the Snow White stories or whatever, it's at least about five or seven, eight movies based off of just the Disney version. And it just frustrates right. me that instead of just hiring Latin people, uh, Asian American people, um, black people to create black stories. There, I'm sure there are several African stories that could be told on right. in, a, in a Disney musical. I'm sure there are several Asian stories that don't have to do with kung fu that are just as amazing and just as spectacular as the Snow Whites and the Cinderellas and the Beauty and the Beast. And I just don't understand why we're still here. How are right. we still several here? Indigenous stories that's not just Pocahontas. <laughs> Like Native America, I mean, like they, I mean, we have and the crazy part is Daquan, it just frustrates me the most because like black people and people of color in general have such rich cultures, such rich mythos and storytelling. And the fact that we are not allowed the opportunity to have these, I mean, look at it, like just look at Encanto as an example right now, this most recent example or whatever, the rich diversity and the colors and the in the singing styles and the in just the looks of the people actually cast, you know, actually having darker skinned characters as main as main characters right. in the movie, like stuff like that. It's just it frustrates me that with the amount of money Disney has, the amount of money Marvel and all these other big name places have, that we're still having this debate. And it's like y'all have the money to afford to pay for people of color to tell their own stories. We are we are we are good enough to do that. We don't need your help. And it just it just frustrates me that we are still again being silenced once more. We are still again being told by Disney, wait, do your own thing, do your own thing. No, bitch. Just like I said, or just like I said before, I think that in this situation, we all know that okay, you can make your own space, you can make your own space. But we does that just because we make our own space does not mean that we don't deserve a space at that table too. Right. Because if we're being honest, even if we make our own spaces, white supremacy will find a way to tear it down. And that's on period. Right. Now, the table is always hot with current events and social issues, but sometimes the heat can get a little intense. Let's <laughs> turn the temp down, take a breather, and get into this week's topic cool down. So, Andre, I want to ask you, what makes a good friend? And would you consider yourself a good friend? So I think that what makes a good friend, honestly, is it's it really is the it, it's depending on what you view friendship as. Like, what do you use mm -hmm. it as? So I think that there's a level of connectivity that you need to have. Number one, you need to have connection. You need to have some kind of uh, bond that seals y'all together, right? But I also right. think that what makes a good friend is someone that you can count on. Someone that you can, who, who offers something in your life that you don't have for yourself. Whether it's a, because um, I think we talked about a little bit before, but like I do think there's a different, there's, there's, there's different de leveling degrees of friendship. You know, there's right. the friend that you call for if you just want to have a good time. There's a friend you call for if you want to, you know, just uh, talk about something serious or whatever the case may be. There's the friend that you do. And I think that what seals all those friendships together, what seals it all together is the fact that 
these people bring something into your life just as you bring something into their life. Now, do I think that I am a good friend? I hope so. I'd like to think of myself as one because I think that I'll, what I've always said is the best, the best way to be a good friend also is to be the person you'd want for yourself. Like mm. that whole statement of treat people, the adage of treat people how you want to be treated. I think right. of it the same way as friendship. So it's like in order for me to be a good friend, I want to be the friend that I want for myself. I'm right. performing. I'm performing. the. I'm being the friend that I want for me. So it's like, if I'm giving you that, I hope that that's the same for the other person. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I agree. I think that's what makes a good friend, you know, really depends on the person. Like I would say I am a good friend. If you are looking for a low maintenance friend, Not like I am somebody, who, <laughs> I am somebody who we can go a couple years without talking and then just be like, Oh, what's up? Like, Hey bitch, like let's <laughs> keep eat. and just like act like no time has passed. But I'm also somebody that and they are not I lying, know. by the way. They are not lying at all. <laughs> I'm not. It, people can attest. But I'm also somebody that's, you know, if you really want somebody that's just like all over you as a friend, I'm not a good friend for you. Like, just yeah. like, I have boundaries. I have my capacity. And I know my capacity. And it's like, if you want a friend that you're going to text and FaceTime every day, I can tell you right now that is <laughs> That's not, not going to happen. Like <laughs> you, you may get a text from me, a reply in three to five business days <laughs> as I see fit, you know, because I am somebody that really values my alone time. And that's exactly, that's just like a part of my package as a friend. Like there are times when I'm just like, Hmm, do I want to be social? No, so I'm just like no. not gonna not gonna answer. And like that's a boundary somebody should be able to make. But I think in the in like that same vein, like I am never gonna turn down a friend in need. Like yeah. if you really need me, I will be there for you. Yeah. I will like if you are going through something, I will be on the phone with you every single day. You know, yeah. making sure that you are good, making sure that you're you know, checking in with you, like, I'll be that friend to text and check in, like, all the time. But I also know that, like, after a certain amount, then I need to be like, all right, I need to preserve my own energy, have, you know, protect my capacity. But it really just depends on, like, what you want in a friendship. Yeah, I, I fully agree. I think that there is, that's why I go back to that whole different leveling degrees of friendship. Like, I had to learn this lesson the hard way before. Um, but, like, you have to understand the kind of person your friend is and what you can, what you all bring to each other. Right? right. So my best friend, my big brother is what I call him. Um, he's very much so kind of in the same vein with Daquan. Like he's not very, he's not very into talking every day. He's not, I'm going to call you every day. I'm going to see what's going on. I'm not going to text you every day. That's not the, that's not the kind of bitch I am. That's not, that's not who right. I am. And at first I was like, bitch, what you mean? You're my best friend. Like, why the fuck you want to talk to me all the time? What the case to be? He's like, bitch, you ain't dead. You, you, and that's kind of what it, but like, you know, he's one of those people who like, he comes to visit, you know, once, once every couple of months or so to pop down here, spend time with me. And he'll call me sometimes, or I'll call him sometimes. And I had to realize like, you know, for him, cause he was raised in the Asian culture. So it's not really a big thing to be really, I was raised in black culture. So we're very much so very close knit, very much so call or at least once a week or, you know, whatever. So I kind of had to adjust to the kind of 
friend he was trying to be for me. And I had to realize that like, whenever, like you said too, whenever I really needed him, he showed up. Whenever right. I really needed someone to be there for me, he was, it was no doubt about it. He was coming. And so like, I had to kind of understand like, okay, this is my kind of friend. This is the kind of friend that he is. And if, either I'm going to, and I think that also, we have to also recognize the fact that just because someone is a good friend doesn't necessarily mean they might be a good friend for you. You might also mm -hmm. have to understand that some people, connectivity-wise or just connection-wise, the way that they love you is not right for you. And so right. it's okay to be like, listen, I love and care about you, but we can't be friends because what I bring and what you bring is not matching up. I can't. And I think that that's, I think that's a really big thing that we don't know about in society a lot of times is that it's not, a, don't settle for anything less than what you need, but also right. recognize what people are offering. You have to decide for yourself. You can never teach someone how to love you, but you can learn whether or not you can accept the way that they love you. If that makes any sense. Does that make mm -hmm. sense? Yeah. That right there, that right, I think that <laughs> is so important because, you know, when we have, I think that as a society, we have like this standard general friend thing. And yeah. it's like, we can't standardize friendship because everybody's different. Everybody has different needs and what, what have you. And also everybody has different socialization growing up. Exactly. And I think that's also like plays a part of it because I know like me growing up, I was somebody that like, yeah, when I was like very young, I was like very talkative and like hung out with people all the time. Yeah. But as I got a little bit older, I spent a lot more and more time with myself and like just like my own creative world. And I feel find that like that is why I'm so comfortable with like my alone time. Exactly. And so you also have to figure out everybody is not socialized in the same way. Like somebody could grow up in the house by themselves, spending all the time by themselves. And that could create something where like they just want to talk to other people all the time. Exactly. It can also create it where, you know, they figure out how their alone time can be like their sanctuary. So exactly. just like understanding where different people come from, where, you know, different cultures, different socialization patterns for people and, you know, compromising or not like compromising in the sense that like, all right, I'm going to force myself to be your friend by like changing who I am. But like, yeah, when you have that genuine connection, being able to be like, you know what, this is not necessarily what I would do in this situation, but I want to be there for this person at this moment because they need that and be there. And I think also it's about trying to find other friends that supplement the areas that you may be lacking in. That's why right. you're supposed to have a very diverse and very a, a, a plentiful friend group as in like, you know, quality versus quantity. Let me rephrase, let me make that clear too. But also like, you know, I have different friends for different situations. I have a friend who I can text every day because I need that kind of connection. I have that friend I can be like, bitch, let me talk to you. Bitch, let me call you. Like, bitch, let me do whatever, whatever. I can have that friend. I also have the friend that I know that no matter what, if I call them, they will show up. I also have a friend that I talk to once a week on the <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but I have a very right. diverse friend group because each of my friends brings something different to my life and brings something different to my fulfillment or fulfillment of my soul. You know what I'm saying? My brother brings this aspect. My other friend brings this. You bring this. You bring, you know, stuff like that. So finding a way to kind of balance out your friend group is also a good way to do that as well. Making sure that you have different friends that fit for different situations. But again, like you said, there is a level of compromise that has to be made in the sense of, is the way that you give me connection enough for me? 
Right. Is the way that you give me and you show your love or your care for me, is that enough for me to continue being your friend? Or is it going to be lacking something in return? It's like, okay, no, it is or not. So once you find out that like, yes, while I don't, it's, it's like, let me, I kind of, let me see if I can phrase this right. Understanding that the way someone loves you, whether or not it fits into your life. Let me say that. Right. So it's like, Daquan and me don't talk every day, Right. But I understand that they bring a light in my life that I don't want away. And so I understand how to socialize with that friend. And I still want that friend in my life for X, Y, and Z reasons. Does that make sense? Yeah. And it's also just like understanding that like there's also, how to put it, it's like growth in a friendship. Yes. So that, yes. You, know, yeah. you don't want to change somebody. But you can also understand that maybe that friendship could change over time. Because I know for me that, like, when I first meet somebody, like, I come off as pretty cold. Like, I don't really <laughs> talk to you. I'm just like, yeah. <laughs> I'm really just like trying to like judge the situation, being like, all right, is this person worth my time? But like, as you get closer and closer to me, I open up more and more and you see exactly. different sides of me. And, you know, when you get to that point to where you can text me and I respond that same day, or you can, we can have a back and forth conversation over text for a long time. <laughs> and that's how, you know, like we've evolved in a friendship to a, to the next level. So understanding that, you know, is the way somebody loves, you know, shows their, their love towards me, something that, I want in my life, but also, you know, keeping open that idea that like, this is how they show love now. It could be different in the future, but like not getting your hopes up and trying to change them to be yeah. different in the future. And like I said, I, I, and y'all, I actually got Daquan to text me back a couple times, <laughs> bitch. We working, we getting there. We... <laughs> but anyway. So, so many children grow up never knowing the full scope of what their culture has contributed to society and history. So it's time for a change. Let's take a pause, rewind, and remind the world just how <laughs> we did that. Now, Lewis Howard Latimer was a African-American inventor, electrical pioneer, and son of fugitive slaves. With no access to formal education, Latimer taught himself mechanical drawing while in the Union Navy and eventually became a chief draftsman, patent expert, and inventor. Latimer worked with three of the greatest scientific inventors in history, Alexander Graham Bell, Hiram S. Maxim, and Thomas A. Alva Edison. Now, he played a critical role in the development of the telephone and invented the carbon, carbon filament a significant improvement in the production of the incandescent light bulb. Outside his professional career, Latimer developed a passion for visual art, creative writing, and music. Some products of his artistic endeavors can be viewed at the Lewis Latimer House Museum. His house is owned by the New York City Department of Parks and Recreation, operated by the Lewis H. Latimer Fund Incorporated, and is a member of the Historic House Trust. Mm. Not teaching yourself, baby. Self talk, baby. Self talk. Right, self talk. <laughs> I'm telling you, black inventors, they really do the damn. They really do the damn thing. <laughs> <laughs> 
So, have you ever heard of Allensworth, California? Probably not. It was the first and only all-Black Californian township founded, financed, and governed by Black people. The name comes from Lieutenant Colonel Allen Allensworth, who first settled in the area with the dream of creating a completely self-sufficient city for African Americans to be free of racism and be able to create intellectual and industrial liberty. Allensworth, who was born into slavery, wore many hats throughout his life. He was a medical aide for the Union Army during the Civil War, a steward in the U.S. Navy, a teacher, a preacher, a restaurateur, Kentucky's only Black delegate to the Republican National Conventions in 1980 and 84, and while serving in the U.S. Army, he wrote the Army's Standard Manual on the Education of Enlisted Personnel. After retiring from the Army, he finally he founded Allensworth, California, which at its peak had California's first Black school district, numerous Black social organizations, Black businesses, Black elected officials, and in Allensworth's eyes, the potential to be the Tuskegee of the West. Wow. I mean, who, especially in 1880, 1880 and 1880 through 1884? Like, that is... Right. You better, like, per, like, per, Black people. Black people. Unfortunately, it's not around now. You know, the town no. is now a historic park, I believe. Mm -hmm. Many of the families left because there was arsenic in the water. Um. I believe that, you know, some of the families are still, you know, in the general area today, but... Allensworth, California, not the same black town that it used to be, but it was on and popping. Like <laughs> names, the names were built off of you know black people, black leaders, abolitionists. Like it was an on and popping city. Baby, black people, we be fucking it up. We be fucking it up. Like baby, don't be sleeping on the black people, baby. <laughs> we get our culture is mighty delicious. We, oh, we get why white people want it so badly. We get it. We get it now. We understand. Because right. <laughs> if you want us, you probably want to be us. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> now, as always, thank you all so much for watching. And keep the conversation going down in the comment box below. Don't forget to give this video a thumbs up. And if you are listening to us on our podcast, please rate and review on whatever platform you're using. You can also follow our podcast on Instagram at the Melanin Margin for updates of new content. And if you'd like to follow each of us, our handles are at Daquan MUE and at Andre Talks a Lot. Now, we will see you all next week on the Melanin Margin, where our goal is always to bring the marginalized to the spotlight in any way we can. Goodbye now.